So I don't know who needs to hear this in the very first sentence of this sermon, but don't fear. Jesus is near. That's our big idea today. And it's inspired by something John Newton said. He's the guy who wrote arguably the most popular Christian song to date, Amazing Grace. I mean, that song has stayed at the number one spot on the charts for about 250 years now. I have a feeling we'll be singing Amazing Grace on the new earth. Here's what John Newton said. Jesus is always near, about our path by day and our bed by night, so that not a thought, sigh, or tear escapes his notice. Or you could say Jesus is omnipresent. And that's the undomesticated attribute of God that we will be looking at today. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. We were there several weeks ago. David is going to teach us that God is everywhere, that he is always near, that he is near as we go about our day and when we sleep tight and don't let the bed bugs bite and when we think and sigh and get up from a chair and be like, ah, and especially when we cry a river, Jesus is near. Psalm 139 is itching to tell you that. So let's look at God's word. Psalm 139, beginning of verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So recall what we saw a few weeks ago when we were in Psalm 139. The tone of this psalm, which you'll get if you keep reading to verse 7 and to verse 14 and to verse 17. The tone of this psalm is actually praise and adoration of Yahweh the Lord. David is exulting in, he's rejoicing in the fact that God knows everything about him and that God is everywhere and sees everything. He's rejoicing that God sees everything. (laughs) Let that sink in. In other words, God knows all that is happening in David's life. And this is very important to keep in mind as you read Psalm 139, because David has enemies who are breathing down his neck. He has people that want to slit his throat, people who hate him, people who hate Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, and they want to take David out. They are wicked men. He calls them uh, men of blood in verse 19. They are cold-blooded killers, and David is the next item on their to-do or to-kill list. And that's why God's omniscience, that he knows everything, which we saw three weeks ago. That's why God's omniscience and why God's omnipresence that we'll be looking at today comfort David and cause him to praise even though people want to kill him. David knows that God knows all about these thugs who want to take his life. David knows that God is absolutely aware of everything happening in his life. And so even though David might get whacked by some Moabite mob hitmen, he is still worshiping. So read Psalm 139 as adoration. David is in awe 
of the omniscient and omnipresent God. So his theology leads him to doxology, and that's how it always should be. Listen, as we saw a few weeks ago, if your study of God, if your study of the Bible, your study of doctrine, systematic theology, your study of the undomesticated attributes of God, if it does not humble you and lead you to worship and awe, then you are doing theology wrong. If there is a dam between your head and your heart, then you're doing theology wrong. And if you look down on others because they don't believe the same as you, then you're doing theology wrong. Theology should always lead to worship. Theology should always lead to doxology, to awe and adoration and wonder and humility. And so David is worshiping in Psalm 139 because he knows that God is omnipresent. Now let's break that word down. It comes from the Latin omnipresens. Omni means all. Presens means present. So when we say that God is omnipresent, we are saying that God is present everywhere at the same time. Now, I know you probably know that, but think about it. He is present everywhere at the same time, past, present, and future. He is limitlessly present. He cannot be confined to one space. He cannot be confined to one moment in time. And he cannot be confined to one space because God does not have a body as many of the confessions in church history affirm. For instance, the Westminster Confession of Faith says, There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. We looked at it, what it means that God is without parts, that God is without passions several weeks, maybe months ago but he is without body. The 39 articles say, there is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body, parts, or passions. And the London Baptist Confession of Faith, the Lord our God is but one only living and true God, whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. Now, of course, this does not mean that Jesus didn't have a body, because he did, and he still has a body, doesn't he? But God, the Trinitarian God that we love and serve, in his essence, in his nature, does not have a body. He is not made up of parts. He is spirit. And because he is spirit, he is able to be everywhere present at all times. He does not have a physical body that limits him to one place. He is not bound by any place. He is uncontainable. And everywhere that God is present, he is fully present. All that God is, is fully present everywhere that all that God is, which is everywhere. Let me repeat that. All that God is, is fully present everywhere, that all that God is, which is everywhere. 
That's divine omnipresence. That's what we mean when we say that God is omnipresent. And that's what David means when he says in verse 5, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. When David says in verse 5 that God hems him in, he means that God has him surrounded. He is encircled by God. Everywhere that David turns, Yahweh is there on all sides encircled. And that's because Yahweh has laid his hand upon David, he says. The word that David uses here for hand is not the normal Hebrew word for hand, yod. That word yod is used in the Old Testament over and over again for God's power. But here David uses the Hebrew word for palm. You have placed your palm upon me. The picture that David has in mind is that Yahweh has placed his palm over David like when you cup something in your hand. I did this as a kid growing up in the country in Oklahoma. We would catch lightning bugs at night. And you catch them and you cup them in your hands and then you put them into the jar. My kids have since loved doing this when they visit my parents. Or it's like trying to catch a frog or a lizard. You cup them in your hand, right? I did that a lot as a kid. You cupped them in your hand or you Psalm 139 verse 5 them. The church I pastored in Texas was called Country Bible Church and it lived up to its name because we would get critters in the church like snakes. Yes, there would be times that we would find snakes in the sanctuary. There were times when we were a snake handling church, but not that kind of snake handling church. And we would see lizards in the church too. And we had this one lizard that seemed to pop up every once in a while. And we could not catch this little rascal. And he wasn't little, actually. He was big because everything's big in Texas, right? We would see him scamper through the church offices but could never catch him. And then one day we had him trapped in an office. And we had a Christian school that was a part of our church. So I went and grabbed our oldest son, Zechariah, who was in fifth grade at the time. I pulled him out of his class and said, we need you to catch this lizard. It's a boy's dream, right? You get out of class and you get to catch a lizard. And being the bug-loving, snake-wrangling, lizard-catching Texas boy that he was, Zech caught the lizard. Here's a picture of that day. Look at the size of that thing. That's what David is saying here. Yahweh, you have me surrounded, encircled. You have me cupped in your hands like a lightning bug or lizard. I can't get away from you. And that's why David says that knowing this is too much for him to take in. He's surrounded by enemies that want to slit his throat, but he's even more surrounded by the cupped hand of Yahweh. He's safe in the cupped hands of Yahweh. And this kind of omnipresent cupped care and cupped protection, David says, it's just too much for me to take in. That's why he says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. A form of that word that David uses in verse 6 for wonderful is used in Genesis 18, 14, when the Lord promised barren Sarah a child. Genesis 18, 14 says, is anything too hard or extraordinarily wonderful for the Lord? That's the idea. Understand this, Grace. We serve a God who does extraordinarily wonderful things. 
crazy, wild, out of this world things, and we don't deserve a lick of it because we're a bunch of sinful rascals, aren't we? And yet he showers us with blessings and he often answers our prayers and blesses us in extraordinarily wonderful ways, wild and crazy ways, out of this world ways. I mean, think about this. What would we do without the assurance that our God listens to our prayers, answers our prayers, and can respond to our prayers by doing crazy, wild, wonderful things on our behalf. Where would we be without that assurance? Probably locked up in a padded room wearing a white jacket that buckles in the back, is my guess. And his ways are so beyond us, aren't they? That's why David says, it is high, and I cannot attain it. The verb, it is high, often describes in the Old Testament this unattainably high wall or tower or fortress. So David is saying that the knowledge of God's omnipresence and God's omniscience to him is like a high fortress that he cannot climb or penetrate. He's just standing there before the character and attributes of God like he's standing before a giant wall that he cannot scale And he is dumbfounded. David is in awe of Yahweh. He's in awe of God. And David is inviting you today to stand before the unattainable, incomprehensible wall of God's undomesticated attributes. And he wants to put his arm around your shoulder and tell you, don't fear. Jesus is near. That's the emphasis. Jesus, the Son of God, is near. Not some dude down the street named Jesus. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is near. John Newton also said, Jesus is always near, nearer than the light by which we see or the air we breathe, nearer than we are to ourselves. Think about that. Jesus is nearer to you then you are to you. And all you can do is stand there. No, all you can do is fall on your knees with your mouth agape and just be in awe of the Trinitarian God who is. That's worship. Mouth agape and in awe. And that's what we want to happen every week here at Grace, that you hear about Jesus and all that he is for you as your Savior and Redeemer, all that he is for you as your High Priest, and that you are in union with him and that nothing can sever that union, and that you are forgiven of all the horrendous sins that you do all the time, and that God's heart actually beats for you And you hear that and you just stop and stand before the unattainable, awesome wall of God's undomesticated attributes and your mouth is agape and you're simply in awe. That's worship. And that's what David is doing here. It's dumbfounding, jaw-dropping awe and wonder. And that's what will happen if you stop and think about the fact that, one, God knows everything about you. And two, he has you cupped inside his almighty protective hands. And three, he's nearer to you than you are to you. And nothing happens to you that he doesn't notice. 
So just stand before the unattainably high fortress, tower, and wall of God's undomesticated attributes this morning and just be in awe of him. That's worship. That's discipleship. Listen, when we, want, when we say that we want to stay busy making disciples, making disciples, we mean we want to call others to the unattainably high fortress, tower, and wall of God's undomesticated attributes and just be in awe. We want people to say, come here, stand before the God that we love and serve and just be in awe. We want to make disciples who are in awe of Jesus. And if we succeed at that, we have done our job. But David still has some ink left in his pen so and a little bit of space left to write on his paper. So he figures he's going to continue writing about Yahweh's omnipresence. So look at verse 7 now. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Let me summarize, David. God is everywhere we go or think of going. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. We can't get away from him. If we go to heaven, boom, he's there. If we go to Sheol, that's just the Hebrew word for the grave. If we go down into Sheol, down into the grave, boom, he is there. God is everywhere and he is not limited and he is not confined to heaven. As Puritan Stephen Charnock said, heaven is the court of his majestical presence, but not the prison of his essence. God is not imprisoned in heaven. He is everywhere that David could go. So if we could sprout wings like a bird and fly all the way around the earth, boom, he's there. If we could reach the bottom of the ocean, boom, he's there. From heaven to hell, east to west, the bottom of the ocean to some universe way out there that is yet to be discovered, God is there. God is everywhere we go or think of going. Who is this God that we serve grace? He's the everywhere we go or think of going, got us cupped in his hand, God. But now David uses the normal Hebrew word for hand in verse 10. Your right hand shall hold me. God's omnipotent, all-powerful hand is holding David. And not just holding him, but leading him, he says. The word that David uses here in Psalm 139 for lead is the same one he uses in Psalm 23 when he says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yahweh is holding and leading David with loving intentions. And the same is true for you, Christian. You can rest in the omnipotent hand of God that is leading you. And even if he leads us into the darkness he is there. Notice in Psalm 23 that the valley of the shadow of death follows the verse that says, he leads me in paths. God may lead you along a dark path for a season, but he is with you. The omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God is near. And that means that darkness is no match for Jesus. Jesus. 
because he can see in the dark. The dark is a bright summer day to Jesus, David is telling us. And that means that the darkness will not crush us. Because that's the word that David uses in verse 11 when he says, surely the darkness shall cover me. It's the word crush. It's the same word crush that is used in Genesis 3.15 when God told the snake that one of Adam and Eve's descendants would crush him, meaning Jesus. Nothing in in the dark can harm David. No darkness or distance can separate David from God's powerful presence. No darkness can crush David because he is cupped in the all-powerful hands of Yahweh. And the same is true for you, Christian. And the reason that no darkness can ultimately crush you is because all that God is is fully present in all places at once, past, present, and future. All that God is is here right now, as well as next Wednesday afternoon at 1.39 p.m. So all that God is 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 and he's here right now, but he's, all that God is is also with us next Wednesday at 1.39 p.m. As well as, get this, all that God is, is there on the day in 1772 when John Newton wrote the lyrics for Amazing Grace. As well as, get this, all that God is, 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 in eternity past and eternity future, All at once. Wow. All that God is, is everywhere and at all times, past, present, and future. Mind blown, right? All that God is, is everywhere and at all times, past, present, and future. Hello, migraine. In light of this brain-hurting truth, we will have Tylenol available at both of the welcome centers after the services today. Not really, but... This is your God, Christian. And even though the doctrine of God's omnipresence might make your head hurt, does it not comfort your heart? Wow. Who is this God we worship, Grace? I think John Newton would answer that with amazing. The omnipresent God is amazing, and that's why John Newton gave grace that adjective in his song, because Jesus is amazing, because grace is amazing. We should read some of the lyrics to that song since we're talking about it. I know you've heard them a million times, but listen again. I'm going to read four verses from Amazing Grace that relate to God's grace saving us, preserving us, and giving us reasons to sing for eternity. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many Dangers, toils, and snares. I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. I like to think 
that because Amazing Grace is arguably the greatest hymn ever written, I like to think that we are going to sing it on the day that we start the 11,000th year on the new earth. So after we wrap up 10,000 years in eternity, I like to think that maybe we'll make a big deal about it. Like the newspaper headline of the New Earth Gazette will say, 10,000 years behind us and many more days to come to sing God's praise. Maybe we'll have a big 10,000 years celebration. I don't know. Why not? Could be. But I guess we're going to have to wait until that day arrives, aren't we? But you know who knows, right? Jesus. Because he's there right now on the day we begin our 11,000th year of eternity. Think about that. Jesus is present right now on the day we celebrate the first day of our 11,000th year on the new earth. Tylenol, anyone? And he's here right now too with you, near you to help you today, to comfort you, to strengthen you, to encourage you. That's the doctrine of God's omnipresence. God's omnipresence means that there is no place or time where God is not. Even in hell, God is present. Now, some people say that hell is being without God. Well, okay, I know what they're trying to say. It is hell to not be with and enjoy God as his child. But God will be present in hell too. He will be present as judge. He will not be there to be experienced and enjoyed as father, but to be experienced as the righteous judge. And those who refuse to repent and refuse to trust in Christ alone will spend eternity with God as judge. They will spend eternity with God experiencing his wrath. R.C. Sproul said this, and it may shock you. He said, we need to realize that those who are in hell desire nothing more than the absence of God. They didn't want to be in God's presence during their earthly lives, and they certainly don't want him near when they're in hell. The worst thing about hell is the presence of God there. Hell reflects the presence of God in his mode of judgment, in his exercise of wrath, and that's what everyone would like to escape. And that is something to escape. Have you escaped Flee to Jesus right now. Call on his name. Listen, you do not want to spend eternity in hell under God's judgment. So if you haven't yet, repent. Which just means change your mind and turn to Jesus and trust in him alone. He loves you and he laid his life down for you and for your sins on the cross. And you didn't deserve a lick of that at all. It was his kindness and his goodness that he sent his son to lay down his life for our sins. He paid the penalty for your sins on the cross and he was without sin. Substitutionary death. So you will either stand before God bearing all of your sin and pay the penalty or let Christ stand there for you as he did at Calvary to give you a gift justification, the gift of righteousness. 
today would be a great day to be forgiven, wouldn't it? To be adopted into God's family? I think so. What's holding you back? Just cry out now, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he will. He will. So God is everywhere at once. But Christian, he's near you personally. Not in some vague way either. All that God is, is near you, for you. All of God for all of your heart. All of God for all your needs. All of God for all your fears. All of God for all your worries. All of God for all your mess and drama. Listen, God's heart is drawn to those who have nothing. To those who are needy. God's heart is drawn to those who feel stuck in fear, stuck in shame, stuck in disappointment, stuck in regret. That's where he is near. Those places where he is near, whether we feel him or not, he is there. Where would we be without that assurance? Where would we be without the assurance of the omnipresence of God, that he's near even if we don't feel it? Listen, you may say that you don't feel that Jesus is near. I get that because there are times when I don't feel that God is near. Lots of times. We all feel like that, don't we? But here's the thing. God's nearness does not depend on our feelings. Let me say that again. God's nearness does not depend upon us and how we are feeling in that moment. God is near because he is the omnipresent God. He is always near. Isn't that good news? Because if it depended on our feelings, my goodness, how little would we actually experience God's nearness? But thankfully, it's not dependent upon our feelings. Jen Wilkins says, and this is the challenge for the believer this side of eternity, we cannot trust our perception of God's closeness to be accurate. God is near whether we feel him to be or not. How mindful we are of this truth will directly affect the way we live. So whatever you feel this morning, don't fear. Jesus is near. In 1803, John Newton wrote another hymn that should be just as popular as Amazing Grace. It's called, I Will Trust and Not Be Afraid. Here's a little sample. He says, Be gone, unbelief. My Savior is near, and for my relief will surely appear. By prayer, let me wrestle, and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. I love that. I smile at the storm. If Jesus is in the boat with me, I can smile at the storm. If he's not there, I'm going to freak out. But if he's in the boat with me, I can smile the storm that's coming my way. So let's change our big idea as we close. Don't fear. Just smile at the storm. Jesus is near. As we prepare, prepare for the Lord's Supper, here's one more thing that John Newton said as he was near death, and it's all you need to know to come to this table today. As he was near death, John Newton said, my memory is nearly gone but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great 
Savior. That's all you know to be, need to know to be welcomed at this table today to say, I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, we humbly and freely confess to you this morning that we are great sinners, Lord. Oh, just looking back over the past week, Lord, how much shame we would feel if we were under condemnation. Lord, we know our sin all too well, and sin has actually kept us from understanding our sin, Jesus. We don't really know how sinful we are. We've just scratched the surface, but we know we're great sinners. And Jesus, we ask you to forgive us because you are a great Savior. And so we freely confess this morning that we are unworthy and we are just in awe of you, that you would save sinners, that you would give your life for people like us and welcome us into your family where we can enjoy you forever and ever. It's amazing grace. And Jesus, we're just in awe of your amazing grace that you've shown us. Help us to live for your glory and to honor you because you've been so good to us. In your name we pray, amen.